What's going on, guys? We are back for another episode of the You Know Ball podcast. Uh, for the first time since we have changed the name, I believe this is his fourth time on the podcast. You might know him from the first episode. You might know him from our trade deadline episodes that we did a few months back. I am here with Twitter famous Marty Teller. What's going on, Marty? How are you? Trilly, what's up, man? Pleasure to be on. I actually really like the name of the pod. I've been meaning to tell you that. I think you I think you nailed that one. Oh, thanks. It's much easier to find it on search engines, which was I not can't believe easy it's at not, all. I can't believe it's not taken. Uh, it, you know what's funny is I started the podcast as You Know Ball, and I had searched it a week before, and I was like, wow, no one's taken this. The week I published the first episode of You Know Ball, another podcast made their podcast name You Know Ball. All right, so well, let's, let's it's a, send a cease and desist order. Let's, yes, let's, exactly. Let's no, it's a, it. it's, a, it's a soccer podcast. Uh, and also on top of that, I just added the Sixers part to the title wow. after that because I, I still am like, I'm fighting with people. So I'm now at the top of the SEO when you search You Know Ball <laughs> podcast, which is all that matters in the grand scheme of things, the brand, the brand is very strong, but, um, okay. So today we're going to talk about a few things, uh, mostly about the playoffs, um, dive into the Sixers Hawk series a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, now that it's been finalized, um, before when I talked about it, we still didn't even know if the Sixers or Hawks were going to advance. So now we, we could dive a little bit deeper into that. Uh, but before we get into some of that stuff, let's talk up top about our second favorite franchise in the NBA, uh, <laughs> the uh, the Irish lads up in Boston, the Celtics, uh, had a shakeup uh, in the past few days, which I don't know about you, but I was actually pretty surprised by it. Um, I follow a lot of Celtics fans on Twitter. I have some friendly, you know, I poke at them, they poke at me about the Celtics and the Sixers. And their thought was kind of similar to how we felt after last season, which was they're not going to get rid of anyone. It's going to kind of that they're going to run it back with the same front office, run it back with the same coaching staff, mostly the same roster. And then, of course, we had our uh, our falling out. We 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 bring in Daryl Morey, we get rid of Brett Brown. Well, we knew Brett Brown was gone, but they didn't. You know, it was a different situation with Brad Stevens. So they kind of had a similar feeling, and it turns out that they were correct. They shook it up. They. They move on from Danny Ainge, who retires, but he might be going to Utah or Portland. Uh, and then now Brad Stevens will be the basketball, uh, the head of basketball operations, just like Daryl Morey is here. Sure. So what was your first reaction to it? And did it catch you off guard or were you like, oh, I expected something like this the, coming? The, ti- the timing kind of caught me off guard just because I'm, we're so like focused into the playoffs and I know they just lost. And I know that those things happen quickly, but I didn't expect Stevens to get fired. So I didn't, I didn't really think anything was going to happen with, with Ainge. I thought the movement or the change was going to be more like player based. Like, and I'm, I'm sure that's still probably to come. Um, I was pretty surprised, um, but the bigger surprise was definitely Stevens going to the front office, which, which like to me is, to me it's very odd. And I, I'm, I'm waiting. Like I listened to the uh, Windhorse Pod. I've listened to a couple things to try to see like if there's some insights, like. Mike Zarin, who's like this golden child of like protege underneath Ainge, for him not to get that position it seems very, very odd to me. Um, and so I wonder what his future is there. And I, you know, I, I know I think there's a 
What's, what's your point? There's a connection. There's a connection. Well, Daryl and him are good friends from okay. from Boston. Uh, I be, I'm not sure if their time actually overlapped in Boston, but I know that the Boston connection is definitely there because he has done the Sloan Analytics Conference yeah. with him multiple times. He's a cap guy, as you know. That's yep. like his specialty. But he apparently has been behind a lot of moves in Boston. I don't know if any of the recent moves he was behind, but he's definitely had a large influence there. As you said, he was always thought to be like the second in command. My thought behind it is if he were to leave and he didn't get a full-time GM job, that it could be possible that he could join the Sixers front office only just because of the Daryl and the Sloan connection, like them doing the the conference together. Yeah. I knew there was like mutual respect there. And I think Zarin's got actually a lot of pull in the league as well. I think he was the one that came Mm -hmm. up with that wheel idea for the lottery and yeah. Um, some different like reforms. So, but I mean, that's great. If he, you know, if we were to add him, that's fine. Um, I just was surprised because it, to me, it was always seemed like when Ainge left, it was for him. And then I heard like there was part of Ainge leaving is because his son, he was trying to groom his son for that spot. It's, it just seems very weird. And, and my Boston friends, I too have a bunch of Boston friends and they're like, it's so funny watching them go through what, what we have gone through. Like, right. The, it, it's just like so foreign concept to them with the success they've had in all sports. They like, I, I sent like a couple ball busting texts and like, I don't even get responses. They're just like, they're just, they can't, they have nothing. They're just like, I, they've never experienced this. And it's, I mean, I, I'm getting like significant joy out of it. I, I can't, I can't deny Oh, it's fantastic. I've, I've said oftentimes on Twitter, I think the reason why Sixers and Celtics fans don't get along is because the, one is the, the, the fact that our relationship with the Sixers is so different. It's like Sixers are, the overall feeling around the Sixers at all times is gloom and doom. The overall feeling around the Celtics at all times is pretty positive. Like I would say until recently, it's been a very, like their fans are positive online. And I was like, I'll just never be able to relate with that because I think at my core, I have a gloom and doom kind of mindset when it comes to the Sixers, even though I've been trying to condition myself out of that. And it's just funny to see their reaction to this, like you said. Well, in that conditioning, and we'll probably get into this later, but like that's something I think we're all trying to like deal with because, you know, part of us are trying, like we're trying to enjoy this run, but in the back of our heads, we've been conditioned to always think about free agency. And the draft yeah. and what's coming up. So it's like, you know, Dane might be available and you're like, well, well, but guys, we're in the playoffs right now. Like we could win the championship this year. And it's like, yeah, but, but Dane's available. It's like, okay, <laughs> it's, it's hard. Well, the it's one seed. Hard. I know, it's, I it's, get it's it. It's hard and to like, do that. Yeah, exactly. I it's, just wanna, it's definitely hard to balance. I, I need, I want to just say this about Ainge because I, I put out a tweet and it, you know, it got some traction and, you know, do I think he's truly the worst GM? No, of course not. I don't think no. he is. But I, I did hate his guts um, as like a f- NBA fan yeah. because to me, you know, he got so much credit. And it's like, you know, listening. <laughs> what's the famous line Winhor says? If you win a championship, you never have to uh, say you're you sorry. Yes. <laughs> you never, yeah. It makes no sense. I don't but get it. But it's like, <laughs> okay, he, he made all the – it's someone who would like made all these wise investments, right? And made all this money, right? He got all these picks put themselves in a great place, but then took that money and like lit it on fire. Like, like that's essentially what he did. And I, I think, yes, sure. Like you took advantage of Brian Colangelo and Billy King, like Bravo, I guess. I think Kevin McHale too, if you want to go back even further. So I think that like any decent GM that was in a position that had the players that he had, like could have done those deals. 
I think, you know, taking Jalen Brown was, was a good pick. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Tatum thing was like a, a master stroke, which for sure part of me thinks there's some luck involved there because you just circumstantial. But the, but to put none of it and everyone's like, well, you know, go down the list. They did trade for Kyrie and like they wouldn't have traded for Paul George. And it's like there's other things they could have done. They could have packaged those picks and moved up in the draft. Like there's yeah. things they could have done. So I just think that. Um, I don't think he's truly the worst, but I think he's, I definitely think he's an overrated GM. I, I really I, do. I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat as you, but I feel, I feel like he's a good GM, like if, on the, on the whole, like if you were to take his entire resume, he did things that a good GM would do. I don't disagree with that. Um, he was overrated by the media for years and then once the wheels started to fall off a little bit with kind of some of his smaller moves and some of his yeah. his moves that might not have been as big picture, whether it's, you know, waiting on the Memphis pick and it turns into the 14th pick, same with the Kings, like all these, all these things that are like little tiny things that basically can add up to one big, bad, like overarching thing over the past three seasons since really that masterstroke that he had with the 2017 draft of Jason Tatum. Um, it, it and the Kyrie Irving and Hayward, like that whole offseason up to there, I thought he was really good and he mm-hmm. had like a really good run. And then you start to get pushback from the media and fans. I feel like at this point, he's kind of properly rated because everyone that's like a smart NBA fan is like, he's overrated. Yeah. But everyone who's in the media seems to still kind of view him fairly uh, positively. And uh, at this point, I think he's, he's just a, a, a solid good GM. Uh, he won a championship. He set up Boston well with Brown and Tatum. Uh, even Smart is a good pick. Uh, mm-hmm. And like he 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 did his job. Like he, but he also over the past two or three seasons, as I've said on this podcast before, he's had some questionable decisions. And I think that part of part of all this that that I I I don't necessarily care all the much about his resume. The thing that pissed me off about that uh, low Windhorse thing, and like I like Zach Lowe, I respect him a lot. Mm-hmm. No comment on Windhorse, <laughs> but um, the the thing that pissed me off was like, oh well, you know, we could run down every single move that he didn't make, and blah blah blah. And then I'm like, dude, no one would care if he never leaked any of this stuff to the media, right? Because every time one of these trades doesn't happen, there's within okay, and it's not even just oh, we didn't get James Harden, we didn't get Kawhi, we didn't get Paul George. We were close, which is fine. Whatever, we didn't. Like, that stuff annoys me. But then on top of that, like, Tyler Hero lights them up in a playoff game and he's leaking to the press how much he loved Tyler Hero and we were going to take him, but he went one pick. Shut up, dude. Like, that's by the end, I was just sick of it. Like, you're coming up with all these fucking excuses. Own up. You made some bad moves and move the fuck on. And, and it's just funny how close our two franchi- franchises are related because it's like a cautionary tale, right? Like everyone in our circle is like, you know, this is why you don't waste assets and you can't burn right. assets because we traded them, the Tobias. Where the flip is you wait and wait and wait for this like perfect deal to come. And then you take a bunch of guys at 14 and 16 and 21 that are like, eh, guys that, you yeah. know, are, are fine. But then like you didn't use your Landry Shamit to get a Tobias Harris. Like, right. you know, like it's just a cautionary tale and it's, you know, it's maybe you're never right. Like you could be wrong either way, but I just think like when we, all of us got annoyed of like being too aggressive and it's like, I don't know, man, I, part of me is like, I'd rather go for it when you think you have a chance 
than to be like, well, we're just going to be patient. And it's like, you don't know how many chances you get. You just don't know. And especially Absolutely. with the ticking time bomb we have here with Embiid, like, I just feel like every season's so precious. And if there's a chance to go for it, you go for it. I totally agree. And part of part of why I think Ainge is now gone from Boston is because he was riding that fence for so long. Yeah. Basically, like he had he had all these good players that were in a win now situation, but he was also trying to develop Brown and Tatum. And then so he wanted to hold on to the those picks that became the 14th picks so that he could prepare for the future. But then also at the same time, he's signing Kemba Walker, who's 30 years old. And like, don't get me wrong, I think you should sign that guy every time. Like yeah. I, I if you didn't know about the knee and you don't, and no one really knew and all that yeah, stuff, nobody that's knew. He, he did He wasn't like, I thought it was know, a good signing. Exactly. Like I, yeah. I actually, you know, I, I, that was one of the things I talked about was like not trading for Kemba was a mistake when we, when that season was going on because of how low his cap hold was. So yeah, it was like 11 million. He was it was, yeah, it was crazy yeah. low. It was crazy yeah. low. So yeah. And that's, that is part of like the thing is like, I think that ultimately what his downfall was in, in Boston and, and, you know, part of it is he was there for so long that like, it's, it was kind of like the Maury thing in Houston where it's just like, we tried, like we did everything right. we could. Yep. And, you know, I think he's, I, I've said on this podcast before, the, the Celtics aren't going away. They have a, enough good young talent. Well, we, um, we saw, we saw it with Daryl, right? Like we, everyone's like, we're fucked. We're screwed. Yep. It's over. And it's like, when you have, you know, Simmons and Embiid, when you have Brown and Tatum, like it, it, it it's, they need to make their Horford deal with Kemba. You know, they got to yep. do that. That's the move, right? Or using smart to, to get off of him. And even if you don't get equal talent back, maybe you get a little bit of uh, cap flexibility and, you know, maybe you retain Fournier. Like it's it's not over for them. Yeah. Um, I, it's it's nice as a Sixers fan that it's not as clear cut the path for them for sure. going forward. But it's you know they're not done. You know, I don't think they're done. I also don't know about the Brad Stevens thing. Like I think that the thing about Brad Stevens is like he is a very smart guy. Clearly knows basketball incredibly well. Um, I think a lot of the criticism that he's gotten over the past day is kind of weird to me if anything uh the fact that they're like uh you know i understand with like a lot of the times in this business and in a lot of businesses white dudes tend to fall upwards and they don't deserve but like in my opinion brad stevens is a really good coach and like he went to three conference finals like i don't think that that roster outside of the Kyrie year when everything fell apart I don't think they've ever had a roster that was good enough to get to the finals. So, so the fact that they got to that many conference finals is a win in itself. Here, here's my guess with what kind of transpired. And I, we, I see this, you know, in corporate America sometimes too. Like, I think he was burned out by all accounts is like what people have said. But but he didn't necessarily, he wasn't necessarily looking to go coach somewhere else. Like, I'm burned out here, but I want to keep coaching. I think he was like burned out. And they were like, well, listen, we still want you like part of this organization. Danny's leaving. I, like maybe, just maybe, this is t- in title only, and it really is going to be like, yeah, you'll you'll you know lead the way, but like Meg Zarin's still going to do his cap stuff, and you know whoever the the you know pro personnel guy is still going to do his stuff, and like you'll still obviously like he'll do the role, but I think Windhorse might have mentioned it. I thought like maybe that's possible. Like maybe they're just like we don't want you to leave the organization, and like maybe right. in two or three years you, you get your you get your energy back and. You pull O'Reilly and you go back. I don't think yeah. this was like you're so good, like like you're so good. We need to keep you. I think it was more just like we don't want to lose you 
Um, we like you. We think you're like the right guy for this organization. So if you don't want to leave, we'll find a position for you. Absolutely. And I think, so I think it could be just sort of like ceremonial and title. Like I I think if you want to talk about like a collaborative, my guess is that front office will be very collaborative going for sure. I think so too. And the, the, the players really like him as a person. I think that that, I'm not sure if his message as a coach was still resonating kind of, but it, similarly to how the Brett Brown situation ended, I don't think that anyone disliked Brett as a person. It was just right. when you're trying to win games and, you know, whatever, it, it just wasn't resonating in the same way that it was before Tatum and Brown seemed to really like him. So I understand exactly what you're saying right now. I, from a, is he going to be a good GM if he's really the guy uh, perspective? I'm not sure. I think that Brad makes some very questionable personnel decisions. And part of that was because of, a lot of questionable decisions from the past few years from the front office, but also he in the past, much like a lot of coaches, especially including the guy we have here at Philadelphia, Doc Rivers, uh, would prefer to play veteran players over developing some of the young talent, like that kind of stuff. I, I think that ultimately what Brad and the collaborative front office, if they end up doing that, what their job will be is to maximize this, Tatum contract that he's now entering he's got five it's a five-year deal but he's got a player option on that last year year so oh wow I didn't realize that I I thought it was a full okay that's interesting no that's see that's the thing the fact that we got Ben on the five-year deal and there's no player option on the end Donovan Mitchell and Tatum both got player options at the end of their deal so they're locked up for four years Jalen Brown didn't get a max so he actually has three years left on his deal Okay. Um, which by the way, looking like a steal of a contract oh, absolutely. now. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. At, like, at the time it was like, wait, what? And now it's like, oh, now it makes sense. Uh, which gotta give credit. Just like uh just like Colangelo with the Covington contract. Mm-hmm. You gotta give him credit where it's due. So the thing is, I think that Brad and the the new front office's job will be basically maximizing that talent, maybe moving some of their young guys that haven't worked out, out bringing in veteran guys similar to what Maury did Mm -hmm. and making sure that in the next three to four years, they really maximize their chances as Tatum maybe develops into that like one, a offensive guy. Uh, And we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I, I, as you said, if I'm them, I'm not sitting on anything. Honestly, I would even be, if, if a star star became available, like, no disrespect to Jalen Brown. I think he's awesome. He's a great player. If a star star became available, I'm definitely considering trading Jalen Brown just well, because I for, think that you you like that if you want to maximize the window, like Tatum, if Tatum's the guy, you need to have another guy. Because so right now it doesn't he doesn't look like he's the he's not LeBron or Steph or someone like that. That's a good segue into something I wanted to discuss. So we can just discuss it here before we become like a full-on Celtics podcast. I think we're like 20 <laughs> minutes in Celtics stuff. So you were talking about a second star. And I, I mentioned this to you before the pod that I just wanted to take like five minutes to address like Lillard, Beal, and Steph as like three guys who, you know, Beal was in what, an eighth seed, you know, five games out of the playoffs. Lillard out in the first round. Steph made the play and didn't really make the playoffs. Lillard's got four years on an extension starting this year. It just kicks in. It's, it's insane. It's like 42, 45, 47, 50. And I think it's a player option in the last year. Okay. But he's like 35. Yeah. Right. right. Well, he's 30 this year. So it's like 30, 31, 32, 33, something like that. Steph is 33. He's got one year left on his deal. So he's up for an extension. 
Beal has, I think, actually two years, but I think the the final year is a player option that Correct. Cole declined. And Beal's like twenty seven, going on twenty eight. So, so I just want to get like I don't want to talk like so much like trade this guy for that guy. If all things were equal, no, with age and kind of like where you think their maxes will come in, like you know, Steph will be around that fifty million dollar number, even on a for three sure. year, right? Who, who, like, what do you think? Like, who? Which one would you sort of like be most excited about? Like, let's say you're the Celtics and you have Jalen Brown, and you're like, you know what? We think we want to dangle him. Like, it's probably not Steph, right? Because of his age, it's probably Beal or Lillard, right? No, I'd go Steph. Not for, even a question. For the my Celtics, mind. not even no, for any team. I, wow. I, here's the here's the thing. I love Dame. I love Beal. I think they're awesome players. They just don't. It goes back to what we were talking about with maximizing your window, with putting yourself in that conversation. There are like five players in the NBA that if you add them to a team that already has a star, you're you're in the conversation. Right. And like to me, I like Beal, I like Dame, but like if you were to add Dame to the Sixers, I'd feel really good about their championship. Well, okay, Odds, or the Celtics you're or whatever. Adding, okay, if you're adding Dame to the Sixers, though, you're like ninety nine percent subtracting Simmons. Right. Like most like like pretty much. Like I know there's like the fantasy like, well, what if we did Tobias and Maxi and Thibel and all nah, our no, picks? No, no. Like I don't think I, that's... I, unless like Damian Lillard's like, I wanna go to Philadelphia and For like sure. you are gonna make this happen. Like that's like the only way. And it usually usually the, the player is fair enough to be like, here are four teams make right. a deal. Yeah. And also on top of that, you have to consider that I think of all the teams that Portland might be the one that might want to do right by Dame because of he did right by them for so right. long. Like Golden State, as much as Golden State loves Steph, those are like they're like Silicon Valley guys. Like like Joe Lacob went on a podcast recently. I don't know if you saw the clip I posted on Twitter. I, I saw it. Well, it but got yeah, me, it was it, it got it, me. It, yeah, go ahead. It's, he's basically like, this is a business, and we need to look out for ourselves. And if if something were to happen and Steph wants out, that we would work with him, but at the end of the day, we need to do what's best for us. I, I like, I think I sent this to you actually. Like, I, and it's mostly like I'm, I'm joking, but there's like ten percent I'm serious. Like, I do wonder if there's like a Ben Simmons to like Portland, Lillard to Oakland, where he's from, four right. years younger than Steph, locked up for four years, and then Steph to Philly. I just wonder if like that's one where every team is kind of like, yeah, that kind of makes sense for, for us, like. You know, if you're Golden State, do you know, yeah, you could keep Steph and sign him for year 34, 35, 36 and pay him yeah. essentially 50 million a year right around that. Right. Or you, you know, downgrade, you downgrade, but but get a younger guy who's the the home crowd is going to embrace, I would think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I, I I'm just curious what what is your take just like macro level of like the big those those three guys like in big moves this summer do you think all three guys move you think none of them move what are your thoughts if i had to rank them from like most likely to be moved to least likely to be moved i'd go i think beal's number one most likely to be moved everything that's kind of happened with like okay he like got to this point and now it's like all right we got the eight seed we lose in five games and we lose the last game when the other team doesn't even have their best player like all right all right maybe and then his comments afterwards like did not sound like he was super dedicated. And from Washington's standpoint, like, that is the guy. Like, 
to me, Dame and Steph are such another level of star from Beal that, like, especially Steph, that, like, if Steph is on your team and you can just put an adequate team around him, you have a shot. And mm. I think with Dame, it might be a little bit less, but, like, those, like, they could talk themselves into being contenders for the next two years. Washington can never do that. So that's yeah. why I'm putting him at number one. And I'd probably put Steph at number two for most likely to be moved this offseason, only because of the fact that he has one year left on his deal. Dame sounds like he wants to make it try to work with another and, coach. And Portland, in, in all honesty, like p- the thing that people aren't realizing is like of those three teams, Portland has the most deck chairs to move. Like Nur- yes. Nurkic is a positive value contract. Covington is a positive value. Yeah. CJ's probably neutral, but can help you match big money. Like, yeah. So it's hard so, to find a CJ trade. It's, but yeah. it's hard. It is hard to find. That, I'll admit that because I've been looking. But I, I just think Portland has enough where they could give it one more try to just say like let's let's change the deck chairs a little bit. Let's just give Agreed. it a different look, a new coach, and then hey, Dame. After the next season, we'll we'll entertain that. Agreed. Especially because it's like you got four years left in the deal. There's really no precedent for that. Like it's like. Right. It, it, it's mostly guys that have a year or two left. That's why yeah. I think Beal and Steph would be more likely to. I still think Steph is a super long shot. I think Beal is – honestly, I think Beal's likely to be traded this trade. summer now. Like I think that I, I – up until this point, I've been like, he doesn't want to leave, whatever. But now he's finally hinting at like maybe it is time to like move on and do whatever. Um, from an asset standpoint, like to me – Get the best player, worry about the rest later. That's why I would go Steph, Dame, Beal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would understand if you could think that maybe you could hold on to Simmons and do a Tobias Maxi picks, whatever, for Beal, even though I don't think – I think they would get better offers than that. Yeah. But I, I think that if you're trying to keep the Embiid-Simmons core intact, that Beal would be the only one that you might be able to realistically make a move for. Um Whereas with Dame or Steph, there's no way you're acquiring one of them without giving up Ben Simmons. Most likely, yeah. I mean, the the, the game changer is like, and I, I don't know if it ever happens. Steph seems like it, it is the most likely because of the connection to his brother and, and Embiid. It's like if one of these guys would just friggin' say, like, you know, just like Harden, like, really was set on the nets. I know he said Philly, but I think he made it clear he wanted to go to Brooklyn. For like, sure. if Steph came out and was like, listen, Golden State, like everything I've done, like, you know, I love it here. We've won championships. Like I want to finish my career with my brother and like, I want to play with Joel. I want to get him back on the East coast in that situation. Then maybe, right. If you can figure out a way for them to get under, like you, you help Golden State get under the cap with like a third team or something. Right. And give them every single like pick and pick swap that you possibly can do. Then maybe you don't lose Simmons, but Maybe maybe you prefer to do that because then you're like, well, we'll do Simmons and we'll do a, two picks, but then we keep all this other little stuff to have an actual kind of team yeah. around. So I, I was just curious. Might, I was just this, curious about your thoughts on that. This might be controversial, and maybe I'm living a little bit too much in the moment just because of the Embiid injury. But like, if Steph were on the table and we had to move Ben and Tobias to get it done, I Ooh. would do it. Wow. Like I would like I literally think that like a so so, so what if, if they were, get, I okay well, I thought about that and then we're getting into the trade weeds a little bit but just we'll our, do we'll do this one what as if, we're talking what about us in the playoffs what if they were <laughs> nervous about Clay long term and they were like you know what yeah. take Clay take Clay's deal give us Ben and Tobias we we know Tobias is healthy we know he's not as good as Clay was at his peak but we don't know what Clay will be now For sure. what if that was it where they were like just take Clay back. They'll move, you know, maybe they move Draymond separately in another deal just to kind of 
clear the the thing. Yeah, I don't know. That's what we're getting into the weeds a little bit. And I just I'm not sure about that just because holy shit, coming off those two injuries, like it, even, I, well, that's, I can't, what, that's what it would have to be because if you're giving yeah. up Tobias, unless you're well, going to take Wiggins back well, or something like that. That's the thing is that it, it, if you're trying to help them clear some cap, then maybe they're moving Draymond. Maybe they're like, because right. to me, if they're getting Ben, Draymond is redundant. Not that Draymond and Ben are the same player, but like to have to, your, your, your team built around two defensive stalwarts that are both yeah. like function primarily with the ball in their hands on offense and you're taking away the shooting of Clay and Steph, that doesn't make any sense to me. So um, ultimately, if it were to come down to that, I I mean, I'd have to think more about that because then you're talking about like that's more than your entire cap is taken up by three players. Right. And it's it's one guy that might not even play. Who knows with Clay moving well, that's, forward? It's, it's funny you say that about Steph just because like I, I do I do think – I actually think it's very possible he could get moved this summer. And I actually think that we are like – could be in like his top two or three teams. Oh, what other teams do you think he would Miami? Maybe I. <sighs> no, I don't think Miami. Charlotte? I mean, there's been this. Yeah, there's been that Charlotte thing, and now that they're like kind of he's from like there. Got so some, yeah, and, and I think you look at like what Paul has done with the Suns that you could yeah. almost draw a, a corollary. What do you say? Like, um, like a, yeah, like yeah. a similarity, like where they've got these young guys, and you know he can go play next to. Um, ball i don't know I, I we don't have to stay on it i just i wanted to get your Makes feel sense, for though. it because it's wild to me that three guys who are all nba guys like no doubt about it all nba sure. probably first team second team third team are like could theoretically be available this summer um it's crazy it, it's, it's it's just wild to me so and that's not even talking about like everything that's going on with the clippers and core right. and stuff but so so all let's right. all right half an hour in let's actually talk about the 76ers <laughs> 76ers basketball <laughs> So we're going to talk a little bit about kind of before we get into Sixers Hawks, let's talk about what we got wrong in the first round in terms of last time I came on here and did my predictions. Um, the West really threw me off. Uh, Suns Lakers. I'm not sure who you had in that series. I had, so I, I went on with Dave early from Liberty Ballers. And um, we, we had this one. We, we were pretty much in sync. And then we got to the West and we had two different ones. So, he took Lakers and or he took Suns in seven. I took Lakers in seven, and we both kind of had the right rationale. And basically, his was I don't think the Lakers will stay healthy enough. And I was like, I think the Lakers will stay healthy enough through the first round. <laughs> and I was like, right. I just don't think LeBron will lose, but I can see it. If if one of them is not healthy, they will lose. And so I was wrong. I picked the Lakers, but our rationale was correct that we were very concerned about the injuries of for that yep. team. I kind of felt the same way, and I've I used my logic of I won't pick against LeBron the until same, he exactly. proves it. Yeah, exactly. Like basically, and now that they've lost that series, really came down to the injuries on both sides because the like the Lakers win game two and three when Chris Paul is barely playing and he doesn't look himself. Then he kind of gets back into it for the last few games and AD's out. So ultimately I think that, that those two teams were so evenly matched. It was hard to call. I also had Lakers in seven in that series. So I was wrong on that one. I think that the Suns, like I underestimated the Suns for sure though. Like they're a really good team. If, and I, if, I, if I, I like Booker, but like just, if Paul wasn't hurt right now, I think you would be thinking about the West maybe a little bit differently after what they what they accomplished. Absolutely. 
I did get I did get Denver right um, by accident. So so that was the other <laughs> one Dave and I had wrong. I didn't realize the degree to the the um, injuries they had in their backcourt. Like you know yeah. they ended up getting Morris back, um, but you know I didn't realize like um, Dozier like was was like still out. I didn't realize I thought Barton would be back. <clears throat> so that was the thought. Yeah. So I I took the Nuggets and he was like like we were both kind of shocked at the other person picking the other team. Like I was just like doesn't isn't Portland's like defense like horrendous? I was like Nuggets are going to score like a million points. So I feel good that I picked that, but I also like didn't quite realize like the significance of their um, backcourt. I think on paper the Suns should win that series, but I do like there's something about Denver. Yo that kitsch, I think man. they're going to push it to six or seven games. And I really think that series is is going to be a long one. Yeah, and that's why I said on that episode, I said I'm picking the Blazers because of Port. Like, I, you were the first one I knew that was like Denver's winning the title this year. Well, like, when Jamal like, was healthy. When Jamal was healthy, yeah, I, that was exactly. who I would have picked. That was your that was your squad, and I came after the Aaron Gordon trade. I came around to that idea. I was like, I think that that is the team to beat. Jamal goes down. There they have all these injuries, and I'm like, I, I, as amazing as Jokic has been, to be able to beat Dame with like a decent team, I just didn't see it. But ultimately, it comes down to Portland couldn't stop anything. Jokic was absolutely incredible once again, and. He just is a floor raiser in Dude, a way. He's him absurd. And, he's absurd. He's so good. And it's like you watch the game and it's it's very similar to Steph when he first came on the scene because it's like it's it's subtler than like a Luca, a LeBron, or a Harden dominating yeah. because they always have the ball and the and the whole offense centers around them, like at least the Houston Harden and stuff. Whereas with Jokic and, and Steph, it's like they barely need to touch the ball. And when they do, it's just like points every fucking time, whether they're scoring or their teammates are scoring. Like it, it is, it is hard to pick against Jokic, but at a certain point, unless they like, they don't have Jabal, but like, unless Barton comes back and he looks mm. great and like all their guys are clicking and MPJ does what he did the other night when he scored 22 points in the first quarter, like at a certain point, I th- I think Jokic is not going to be able to take them to that next level just because it's not his fault. It's just the the talent gap between the second through seventh guy, which was my reason for picking Portland. Yeah. It, eventually, like if you're running into Utah or you're running into Phoenix, like I would think that that would. But how do you pick against him or Luca? Like it just seems ridiculous. Well, did you? So then, did you pick? Did you pick Dallas to beat the Clippers? No, I d- before the series, I I had the Clippers going to the finals. So did actually. I. That's what, yeah, I yeah. did too. Yep. Yeah, I had the Lakers and the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, and we don't even know if the Clippers are going to advance to the next round. So now. quickly, what do you think? I I do think they win Game Seven. Do you agree? I don't know. It's such a weird series. I guess if you put a gun to my head, I would say yes. I think that a lot of the reason why they they didn't win any of those first two games was just Dallas was sh- shooting at a historical level and neither team has taken command like every game is close like there right. there's no blowouts so it's hard to say but like mm. game 7 luka like i feel like i'm going to feel like an idiot for picking against him but i just I, ultimately <laughs> but i, I got to but then you're also Michael picking Clinton. against Kawhi who who looked like True. positively has- like alien like last night like I know. A, like a borderline, and and when you watch him play, it does give me pause to bring it to the Sixers for a second. Where it's like, 
man, and I know he's not like a Kawhi stopper by any means, but like, man, am I glad we have a Ben Simmons on our team that For like sure. just physically at like, dude, Kawhi was seeking out Luca on on offense. Like he was, that's the person he wanted to go against. And and Dallas had nobody that could even potentially like play up on him without the threat of being beaten off the dribble or play enough back and get a hand in his face with a big enough hand. And just, it just, if, if it were so fortunate to have a Sixers Clipper, like the Sixers get to the finals and, and play somebody like the Clippers to have a body like Ben to put on Kawhi is just so meaningful. Yeah. And I've said the same thing, but about Luca, this series, like, cause we're looking at a reality where Luca could be the best player in the league, dude. Now, Luca's so maybe good, next year, so good. And and I w- I'm stunned at actually this result. I thought Luca. I think I told Dave. I think he would take it to six games because I just thought he was that yeah. good, or that they would at least get a game. I am so and I like Dorian Finney-Smith. I like Maxi Kleba. I like like Tim Hardaway Jr. is like one of those yep. like microwave guys who I, I, I like. I respect, but I think overall that team's talent is so much less than like a Crazy. Utah, a Phoenix, even like a Philly. Like for him to, you talk about like floor raisers, like I, I think their overall talents less than Denver's is right now. Yeah, I, I think I agree with I, that. I, I think like because because Chris Stapps is, is like, dude, his stat line the other night was like horrendous. It was embarrassing. Yeah. So and I, they, they've had a, a few of those this series. And and. I th- uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. has clearly been their second best player. They're throwing out all these kind of play zone defense and use Boban, and they're just yeah. doing whatever they can and, to and, get to the next round. And like, I like a guy like Brunson and and Shire. Like, you know, shout out uh, at Shire Nation. Like, was busting <laughs> me last night. But like, I think Brunson maybe had some decent like first half minutes, but he came in in the second half, and I like him. Like, I was like in my head, He's I've been good, thinking, yeah. yeah, play him a little bit. You need that secondary like like ball handler and helper. He was abysmal in the second half like he missed two free throws and that's what got me thinking I said last night like I wonder because they're a team that has cap space this summer and it's kind of like use it or lose it and I don't know if like their deal is out there like if their ideal trade like because I don't think Porzingis is that tradable I wonder if DeRozan's a guy that they look at to just have I've I've heard people say that to have another ball handler another like pretty legit creator and then just try to get as many shooters as you can around those guys and just yeah. kind of roll with that. It's not perfect. Like it'll still have to get better. But maybe as Przingis gets down to the end of his uh, his deal, and you have more picks to trade, I think they owe one to New York. Maybe you can you can do something that way. But I think they're going to have to use some some of that cap space. And I, I wonder if DeRozan's a guy that maybe makes sense there. I've seen Dinwiddie tied to them. Yeah, before. I would like I, that. I would like that. Yeah, too. He, if he was, if if he could recover from, but then again, do you really want to take on another guy with an injury? Like right. that's the that's the thing with the Porzingis thing. It's like I think that we all could tell that his defense is abysmal compared to where it was a few years ago. But the the Luca thing is like the reason why I was saying that I feel so fortunate to have a stopper like Ben on on the wing is because he's the best Luca defender in the NBA. Absolutely, and. Like even when Luca was playing that last game and they were like switching and he was hunting for those switches and stuff like, and Luca was getting his points, he was getting his buckets. Anytime Ben was on, is on Luca, I feel entirely confident that Ben can handle that. And between Ben and Embiid, like if Luca went on a LeBron type run where he's 
lifting this mediocre team to the finals like LeBron did in 07, like, and the Sixers somehow get there and Embiid somehow is healthy, I would feel incredibly good about our chances. I'll say that much. I mean, absolutely. I, I Josh feel- Richardson, the Josh Richardson, Seth Curry trade on the same night that Josh Richardson played six minutes. Seth Curry scored 30 points in a clinching game in the first it's, round. And I was like, it, that just wild. shows you like it's, the it's, moves it's, that they've made have just not benefited Luca no, at all. No, they haven't. They haven't. And I, the Richardson Richardson thing is like really shocking to me. Like I just, for him to fall off this much in his career, something, something's a miss there. I don't know if it's like a, injury thing or something or a confidence like you know mental thing it's it's very strange but well he did what, play for the Sixers so probably both <laughs> what what do you what about the I I think I got the other well we'll have to see what happens in this clips thing I picked the clips I had Utah I thought Memphis you know played admirable yeah. for a one seed I, I've actually sure. come to think that Utah so let's if either team whoever gets through do you think is beating Utah or do you think Utah is advancing to the the Western Conference Finals because I've actually come to think more highly of Utah as as a potential um, as a potential finals team. To be honest with you, uh, uh, when I was going into the playoffs, I was kind of like I thought that they could beat pretty much anyone. I thought the Clippers were not a great matchup for them. I thought, okay, the best thing that Gobert does for the defense is he protects the rim. The Clippers don't really rely all that much on getting to the rim. But then you see this series yeah. where they 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 don't really get to the rim the first few games and they're settling for mid-range jumpers and their threes aren't falling and everything falls apart. So I think that that series, if it were Clippers-Utah, I think it would probably go seven. I think I have to give the Jazz credit. Like, they're just really good. Like, they're just like... Like they are, and I know the comps have been made to the 2014 Spurs, and I don't think that they're quite that talented. But like, just like from like, they have like five guys who can get their own shot. They have. They don't have any really the weak. Most, they don't really have any weak spots, and then you watch the Clippers, and they're well, stuck. they do. Their their weak spot is is defensive wings, and yeah, the, to the yeah. reason why Paul George and Kawhi, that was my thought, was that. I would say they're weakest when it comes to Royce O'Neal being their only decent like that's, perimeter defender. I think that's. I mean, I think that's fair. When I say weak spots, I just mean like bad players. Like I, I For forget. Sure. I forget who like was saying there was like a someone on a podcast. It was like the trick is like just don't have bad players. Like like the Clippers are playing. <laughs> Chris Vernon says that. Is yeah. that? Oh God, I, I can't yeah. believe I'm quoting Chris yeah. Vernon. So. Oh um, no, I Chris Vernon is a f- hilarious character to me. So. I, uh, so, but then you watch the Clippers and they're like, they're starting Reggie Jackson and Nick Batum. Like they're starting them and like depending on them for big minutes. And it's just like, yeah. every time I think about that, I'm just like, man, was I like, was I an idiot to pick the Clippers to the finals? And like, I'm right. feeling like an idiot watching this series. Like I'm like, I think, yeah. I'm, I think that Utah like could beat them like I, I didn't feel that way going in I, I so if you're asking me what I got wrong I think I underestimated Utah you know what's really funny is sorry Andy Bailey of, I'm sorry <laughs> part of the reason why I think that uh as good as the Celtics have been is that I see their pathway to a championship being difficult is kind of how this Clippers team is fair. And it's to say, like, when your two best players are scoring wings who can defend, that's awesome. But if you don't have that connecting piece on offense that makes everything run, like, like with the Sixers, we have, we have Ben in transition. We have, um, we have 
in the half court, we have the scoring gravity of Embiid to be able to essentially make it so that all the open shooters get open looks, those kind of things. Like when it comes down to the Clippers, like the guys who have the ball, like the majority of the times are just looking to create for themselves and get their own buckets. And a lot of it becomes iso ball. And that's what happened with the Celtics. And it's not to say that I don't think that they can get a playmaker or figure that out. But like, as we're seeing now, the two best teams in terms of one team, one player teams in the West, really, and no disrespect to Michael Porter Jr., but like the reason why they're winning is Jokic and then Luka with Dallas. Like they're the the floor raisers. They're the guys that make everything work. Yep. And I I have a hard time with the Clippers unless we get like the top version of playoff Rondo. I just have a hard time seeing like them having the playmaking enough to be an elite offense in the playoffs. And then on top of that, their defense has, t- has taken a pretty big hit and Luke has been able to expose some of that. Uh, so I don't know if you ask me, I might change my pick to jazz right now, but I guess I'll, I'll stick with it until I see what the Clippers do in game seven. Cause I think if the Clippers come out and they win, I think that that's a good matchup for them. Even though I think Utah's the better team. If that so, makes any sense. So right now, Right now, without knowing uh, tomorrow's um, finish to, to Dallas and uh, and uh, L.A., who are you changing your finals pick? Or are you sticking with the Clippers? It's hard to stick with them when you can see all. But but the thing is, unless they face the Nuggets, I don't think that their defense is going to struggle as much as they've struggled with. Because really, their offense has been good enough to win most of these games. It really comes down to the defense. Not being able to get, not being able to rotate onto shooters, not being able to slow down the one guy, and unless you think that Donovan Mitchell, who's a very good player, unless you think Donovan Mitchell is that level of perimeter player that Jokic and Luka can be, which I don't, uh, and even like Devin Booker, who I really like too, like I, if Chris Paul isn't fully healthy, like I still see a path for the Clippers, if that makes any sense. But if I had to like, if I just had to like make another pick right now, I'd probably pick. Uh, Probably Utah or Phoenix. Probably, honestly, I might go Utah. That's uh, so. If if the Clippers win this game in advance, I'll still take the Clippers. I agree. I think they. I think they do match up pretty well with Utah, um, and I think they would get out if they don't win. If Dallas advances, and, and I, it will, you know, again, I'll be stupid probably to underestimate Luca, but I think <laughs> Utah will beat them, and I think Utah will go to the finals if the Clippers don't get through. I mean, I I can't count out Luca again, but like, if there were one player that you wouldn't want to face if you're Utah, it would probably be Luka. Like, just from, like, running high pick and roll to get Gobert out of the paint. If they're blitzing Luka at the top, like, before, like, which which the Clippers have finally made the adjustment to do in the past few games, or the past game, was, like, they were just blitzing Luka anytime he got the ball to get the ball out of his hands. But, like, then you're trusting the rest of the team to make rotations and and win that four on three. And like, if your best defenders are out at the perimeter, that becomes tough. So ultimately uh, I just don't think Dallas and Denver, like as teams have enough to get to that level, but like they have the best overall offensive players right now. So I I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to be wrong. Like I would love to be wrong. I would love to see the Clippers lose. Like I absolutely am am a hater. Like I would, I would love to see Luka beat them. So, I'm 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 Luca Nation as far as like who my rooting interest is, and I and I would probably root for. I don't really have a huge rooting interest in like Phoenix and and Denver. Probably just like Paul. It's like it'd be cool to see CP. I would like, I want to see Chris Paul win a ring. Yeah, that's my um, thing. Is that I, I would root for Phoenix just because 
it would be cool to get Chris Paul a ring if they were able, or at least a finals appearance. Like he right. doesn't even have a finals appearance. Right. Uh, and with all the injuries and stuff, it's just, it, it's, it's really crazy. But um, you brought up, you were talking about Luke. Oh, the one reason I don't want the Clippers to lose. And I don't think Kawhi is going to leave. Like I think that <laughs> they'll tool some things around him, but the idea of Kawhi being like, peace, I'm going to Miami is the one thing, not that I think that Miami is, I don't even know. I mean, they were shit. They just got blown out by the Bucs. Yeah, but wouldn't that, be, team, wouldn't that be, so you're saying you, the reason you don't want the Clippers to lose, because if he went there with Butler and let's say they somehow can finagle Lowry, now all of a sudden like that's. Well, or just Bam and right, he's right, a free right. agent. So like they could get Bam, Kawhi and Jimmy, like, you know, spacing wouldn't be great, but if you have the shooters that they have and like, maybe they can get some more like, Ultimately, I think that if you were to say Kawhi is leaving, Kawhi's got like he first round exit, like he's done with the Clippers. The only two teams I could see him going to are the Lakers, which because he wants to stay in L.A., but I don't see that happening. Or Miami, because Miami is Miami and yeah. people like to live there and he likes warm weather, apparently. I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he Even signs that monster deal. And if worse comes to worse, I think they'll trade George. Yeah, I. But that's Paul George is another guy where, like, first off, they're not losing this series because of Paul George. He's been really good. But he's another guy just like C.J. McCollum where you're like, can't what's really the, find a trade that deal? makes him yeah. better. Yeah. yeah, like because like for all the hate that Paul George gets, he's still a top twenty player. Like you're not gonna get anyone better than him in a trade unless your goal is to get younger uh, in case Kawhi leaves or whatever it is, get more picks back maybe because Kawhi leaves. But like if Kawhi signing the extension, and he wants Paul George gone. Who are you getting that's an upgrade unless one of those guys, Beal, Dame, whatever, becomes available? And even then, is Paul George enough? So. Yeah, I don't know. All right, what about out so, east? I think we did. You get everything. I had everything right out east. I did have the Hawks over the Knicks. Thankfully, yeah, I think that was pretty. I had the Hawks in six. Yeah, I had um, the Hawks in seven. I just I thought the Knicks would actually be just a little bit tougher. I thought MSG would be, you know, just like what you you, you were going to get at least two wins out of MSG. But um, the, I, I knew the Hawks were much more talented, and that's why I ultimately picked them. And I think yeah, I think people they should have sweat. I think people are are. I don't think the six. I think the Sixers should win, even not if Embiid doesn't play at all. But even if we have like the 2019 version of Embiid, where it's like we right. have them for game one, but not game two, but then game three and game four, but not five. But like if like it's that, I think that's enough to win the series. Um, but I think people are underestimating the Hawks a little bit. I will say that. Um, I would say the overwhelming sentiment from podcasts. And national media is that if Embiid is out, the Hawks win in six. So if we have Embiid, maybe it goes to seven and the Sixers have a shot. Uh, if we have Embiid, as you were saying, we don't have him some games, we have him other games, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I just found out before we came on, Doc actually said today they they confirmed that it it was a reason. It, that was the injury. That happened in game four. They said that they didn't fall? know if it was old. Yeah. So that's not good. Um, huh. That's interesting because I, I had a theory, which is incorrect, obviously, that that he was maybe – he had tweaked something and was like maybe playing through it and that when he took that fall, it kind of like jarred him and he like went back to just like – That was the thought. Take a look yeah. and like he was already kind of maybe playing through that. So that's interesting, huh? I, I'm so surprised by that. 
they seem to they seem to say like yeah they 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 basically confirm that it is new which you would prefer it was older because then it might now that he has this rest they if, if it's an older injury he'll have more time to recover whatever blah 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 right now it seems pretty 50-50 whether he'll play in this series at all um but also with these weird injuries some doctors have said yeah, like he could probably play through it. And then other doctors have said like they probably won't want to risk it. You know, most, maybe he most might not of what risk I've, it. Most of what I've seen is that like the doctors are like as long as he can tolerate it, like he should be able to play through it. Yeah. Um, my guess it would be something like and, – and there's the weird – what is it? Like Monday, Tuesday, Saturday? Is that the – what's the uh, schedule? Yeah, so we have – as in this tomorrow is Sunday for the first so, game. Yeah, Sunday, Tuesday, and what's then game three? I think it's – is it Friday? I think is it's it Friday, Friday. Sunday? Yeah, I think it's Friday, Sunday. Yeah. So, like, you could theoretically, like, you could play him tomorrow and then skip game two and you give him, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like, four days. Like, I think that's what they'll probably try to do is, like, maybe pick, like, two games where they're, like, you're not going to play these games so we give you three days off or or four days off. And then, like, yeah, if you – with the goal of like playing six, then seven, if you have to. Yeah. I, so I, I, I wonder if he misses like game two and like game four or something like that to Maybe. sort of like maximize his rest or I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to stay positive. Like how bummed out are you just like about it? Uh, it sucks, dude. I mean, it's, I was starting, I've, as I've said, uh, I'm a generally pretty gloom and doom person when it comes to the Sixers. This is the first season in a while that I felt really good. Even like people forget that even during the season we got Jimmy Butler, the vibes were very bad and that a lot of that season was incredibly frustrating and very, even though it was probably the best chance that we've had at a title, it didn't, it didn't quite feel the same way that this way has, has felt, um, and the thing with, like, you know, Embiid finally gets to the point where he's an MVP candidate, probably going to finish in second. Like, all the things seem to be going right. And then this for this to happen, what I'm so frustrated about is the fact that, like, these guys, like, they just want to go hard all the time. And, like, Embiid, Simmons, like, they don't care if they're injured. They want to play through it. They want to do whatever. And it just sucks that, like, him basically going up for this dunk – has now changed like not only this year, but like going forward, like how he could be as a player, like it, it could affect the rest of his career in a way that I just feel really bad for him. And it's shitty as hell. And overall I feel fine. I mean, like at the end of the day, I don't know if this team was going to be good enough to win a title with a fully healthy Embiid. I thought they had a shot. I think that if we get to the Eastern conference finals, if we win this round, that we need a fully healthy Embiid to even have a shot against the Nets or the Bucks. So I would prefer if like if the let's say the Sixers go down 0-2, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Sixers are down 0-2, Embiid is like not like it's just not working. Like if they were like we're going to shut him down and like whatever, like if it means that long term for his health it's the best move, like I'm fine with it. I, I, I think that he would want to play through it because that's just how he's built and how a lot of these guys are built. Um, but I, I do think that that isn't going to be the case. Like I think that I underestimated how good this team could be without Embiid and how, you know, a lot of people keep throwing around, oh, they're 10 and 11 without Embiid. And I'm like, that's true. But they started one and five. Right. And they've looked way better without him since 
that one in five. So like the beginning of the year was like, we were getting, uh, you know, there were a few games where we're like, ah, maybe this team isn't it. But when it started clicking halfway through the season and the second half of the season, when they, even when they didn't have Embiid, I think that if let's just say Embiid is out for the whole series, I think the Hawks would probably win the series, but I think that it could have potential to go seven. Like, I think that, yeah, we're not, I mean, dude, if Embiid doesn't play, we're not getting swept. It's it, it's still going yeah. six or seven games. And I agree with you. I think, like, I, I'm bummed, and I picked the Sixers, you know, and I probably was, like, feeling it a little bit too much with Dave, but I, I, I actually had kind of, like, drunk the Kool-Aid, and it just seemed like it was, like, everything had kind of worked out, and everything was lined up for us. And I I'd still believe, and I do believe, the Bucks are going to beat the Nets, and I feel Ooh, like we... Spicy. I feel like we will be. We would have beaten the Bucks. I feel like it would have been a game seven. And I, what I said to Dave was, it, it, to me, it would be one of those series where every Bucks fan at the end would be like, "We're the better team," right? Because right. like the point differential, the Bucks would have won three games by a total of like forty points, and we would right. have won four games by a total of twelve. Right? right? It would have been that kind of series. Game seven at home it just would have like it, it would have just worked, and we would have gone. And then I thought we would just we would win. In the finals now, I I don't I think whoever wins Bucks Nets is going to win the title. That's just my opinion. Yeah, um, it just bums me out. But I do hope like I hope they make the conference finals, and I hope Embiid can be can play to some level, and like they can whoever they play the Nets the Bucks like like if they get there, I, I just I wanted I want them to validate this season. I want there to be validation that like they have arrived as like you know, at least Embiid and, and I guess, you know, Ben too, although, you know, things can happen, but like this core has arrived and like it's close. And so whether that's like, go get Malcolm Brogdon or like, like that level of move, like your Drew Holiday or uh, Mike Conley type of move, where it's just like, we just need that one more 5% guy or, or like if Steph becomes available, like it, it, it's obvious that you go for it because you're there. You validated this team. I um, think that this Embiid injury has has made me think about those kind of like the Harden trade that we almost made earlier in the year. And like to a lesser extent, the Lowry trade. Um, although I think that this playoffs with Tyrese Maxey has, has Dude. proven that like, this is why you don't trade Tyrese Maxey yeah. for a 35 year old. Like, that's as, and, and that's the other thing, like everyone's talking about, like, what do you, what do you do with Trey? Like, I mean, I think you, you got to give that kid a, like a couple of like shots at like, you know, defending him a little bit, like from a yeah. size and strength perspective, like, I know Trey's like, you know, fast and a jigger bug, but I wouldn't, I'd be like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to defend him a little bit. We, we think you can do as good as anyone else on this team can at your size and your lateral speed. Um, you're going to have to play smart. He'll pick up some dumb fouls, but I, I think he's a guy that you could, you can take a turn on Trey. And to me, that's the, that's the key with Trey Young is, you know, it's, it's almost like, um, like in football, if you have like a, a like a small running back or something like that, where it's like, you just got to beat on them. Like yeah. you got to just keep being physical with them and send guys at them and show them different looks. And I think like, you know, I, I get the, I get the sense that, um, what's the, uh, what's the assistant Burke, Dan Burke we have. Yes. He seems like he's a pretty bright defensive mind for sure. And, um, I think they'll have a good game plan for him. And I, I feel good about the matchup. I feel like if we get four Embiid games at 85% health, 80% health, we can win the series. And, and I hope that they take a little bit of, like, chip on the shoulder. Nobody believes in us. Like, 2017 Bill Simmons-isms. Yeah. Like, like, some of that. And, like, you know, 
house money a little bit and playing four, you know, you got four home games that you could potentially play. I, I still feel like things are in our favor. Um, I just, you know, if you lose this series then it becomes this whole, like, you know, you get the Marcus Hayes of the world and all that. And it's, I just, I, I hope they can at least get to, you know, the Eastern Falcons finals. Yeah. I mean, I don't know Marcus Hayes, but uh, one of my favorite things that someone tweeted at, uh, after he tweeted the article that was like, the Sixers could lose to the Wizards. And I'm like, <laughs> Someone tweeted and was like, I wish I I will say who it was in the introduction of this episode because this tweet was so good. (laughs) But it was basically like uh, an asteroid could hit the Earth and destroy everything you everyone you know and love. (laughs) It's like, yeah, anything could happen. Anything could happen. He's the worst. Your job, your job is to your job as a journalist is to say. Okay, realistically, the Sixers will probably beat the Washington Wizards because they're a significantly better team. And when Joel Embiid was healthy, we were running them off the court. So the thing is, is that I think a lot of this team is built around Joel. And I think a lot of of everything was going to come down to Joel's health and whether he could if if he stayed healthy, if Tobias and Ben could be the players that we've seen them be before at the highest of stages um and i'll say i'm encouraged after the last game now the wizards are not the hawks like the the hawks are a much better team i think that they're shooting they have a lot of bad defenders in their rotation but they have good defenders at the important positions yeah yep clink capella is great deandre hunter is great they seem to and even john collins is actually a pretty decent defender now but they they definitely have a weakness where I wonder, do you think that Doc sticks with the Bennett five lineups? Cause I said before this, when I predicted we were going to lose the, I thought we were going to lose that last game against the wizards and then it was going to go six or seven. And then I was like, then I'm starting to feel not great. Cause I don't know what it beats health is. And you're going mm-hmm. back to Washington and blah, blah, blah. I assumed that he was going to play Mike Scott and Dwight Howard big minutes. Like I assumed he was going to start Mike and I assumed Dwight was going to play a lot of minutes with Ben. And for the first time in forever, the Ben and Dwight minutes actually worked. And he started Ben at the five, which the defensive rating was horrible, but the offensive rating was fantastic. And it was like a plus 9.5 overall. I think like that's going to be the, like you're, you're essentially abandoning a lot of your defensive strategy and you're going all in on that run and gun type offense. So what do you think? Do you think that he's going to stick with Bennett at the five if he can't go? I think you're going to see more of that. I think you, we, I think we're going to see some Mike Scott. We're definitely going to see Dwight. Um, but I think we're going to see some more of that. Um, and it's funny, like you and I were talking about that. Like, I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong. Like you could show me where I'm wrong, but my sense is when you run those small ball lineups, you're not doing it for defense. You're doing it because you think our offense can beat your offense. And so, you know, yeah, we're going to probably give up a ton, but we're going to score more. And as long as our net differential is better, we're fine with that. And we can live with that. And, and the thing about the Bennett five is it's actually not, doesn't really have to be Bennett the five. Like Tobias is like girthy enough to like, you know, they've played him on Marcus all like, you know, like you can play him on the actual five. Right. So like this, like Ben at five, like you could really say it's like Tobias at the five. Yeah. You're, you're just, you're not going to have rim protection and it's yeah. rare unless you have like Robert Covington to get rim protection with, with a small ball five. I have been thinking about it and I'm like, okay, so the, 
the pick and roll for Trey and and Capella that when when we play against them, we tend to do that blitz approach where we try to get uh, Trey so he can't get into his little floater game and into his his uh, lobs. And part of that is because it be has struggled in the past with vertical threats. Um, and I do wonder if they run with Thibel at the point of attack guarding Trey and Ben coming up on the screen. I like that. If that could be, cause, cause you say like, Oh, well, in this series, I think I would put Ben on Capella, on Capella for that reason, because of the vertical aspect of it. I think that I trust Ben to be able to, even though he's not going to protect the rim, he's going to be able to at least swat away a few of those lob attempts and those kind of things that, I think that Tobias might not have the verticality to be able to stick with that. No, Tobias think, isn't much of a lob threat himself. Yeah, I think no, I think that's a great call. I think that's a great call. I just I just meant more in general, like this like them not being like about playing like small ball. I think people forget like Tobias is a, a big player and For he sure. can play big. So to me it, it it was very encouraging to see them to see them do that. Um and I think we will see more of it. I don't know if they'll start that way. Maybe, maybe they'll keep starting that way and then and yeah. that gives them like you know, kind of can see how it goes. And if they feel good about it, they'll go back to it. And if not, they'll go maybe more traditional. Um, yeah. It's going to be an interesting series. I think it, um, it'll tell, it'll say a lot, you know, about like the team's character, you know, talked about like the vibes, like it would be nice to see them kind of pull in nuggets and just kind of like win a series where you're just like, they maybe didn't have like total business winning. Um, yeah. But you know, and, and if, if magically they could get by without Embiid and, and that provides him enough rest to be like 90%, you know, yeah. I, the thing that concerns me about Embiid is like, what is it? You kind of said it. Like, what does it mean for the future? Like, what does it mean for the immediate future? And I mean like next year, because right. everything I read is like, it's either like extended, extended rest, which like, mm-hmm. so you're, he's not getting any off season work literally at all. So then would you just say, okay, your tr- like training camp is going to be like the first time you're going to get back into basketball shape oh or do you do the surgery thing? Right. And then like, there's like pros and cons to that where it's like, if you start, you know, as soon as you start cut, you know, doing stuff to the meniscus, it like, you know, starts wearing away. And it's like, it makes me think like, you know, I- I'm supposed to have a lunch with Daryl Morey at some point. I like there's like, I-, I won that a few months back and I- yeah. he-, he tells me it's going to happen. He said, I had to wait for the off season. So we'll see. But that's like one of the things I like really want to talk about is like, I think building around Embiid is different than any other star because I think you actually can't be too top heavy. I think you have to have depth and you have to have a plan B, even if it's only to win in the regular season or to win one game to be like, if we don't have Embiid, we can play this way. And we know like, yeah, we probably can't win seven games this way. But it's enough of a curveball in the playoffs as a one-off or in the regular season for a week that teams are like, whoa, wait, what's going on here? Like, Right. You know, that was part of the reason why it, I wanted to see the Bennett five lineups earlier. It, it, it's something that has to get figured out this summer. And I respect that. Like, I, you know, everything Daryl did has worked tremendously. Like Danny and, and Seth. And there's a tough decision to make on Danny this offseason. Like, yeah. that's going to be a huge decision. But that's, you know as much as like getting staff or, or doing the, like they still have to have eight, nine, probably 10 guys that you feel really good about. And, and another lineup that you feel strongly about that. It's like, if we don't have Embiid, we can survive two weeks. And, and when I say survive, I mean like be a one or two seed in the East, because as we're right. seeing that matters, like yeah. that matters. Like 
They're not. They we'd have no shot if we were the two or three none. seed. Right they can't. Now. They can't pull. And you saw it with the Lakers this year, man. You can't be the seventh seed, the sixth seed. Like you have no. to be one. I think one or two. Really, you need to be. So you have home court in that second round too. So part I, of the reason why I was so pro Harden trade was because I felt as though having another floor raiser of that caliber, even if you don't have the depth. In the regular season, yeah. Harden can get you by for three weeks like he proved that he could with the Nets. And having that – and, like, look, man, like, like Ben, at, for all of his faults, has proven at times that he can at least keep the team above 500. And, like, as a floor raiser for a non-superstar, like, that's really fucking good, especially when you have Tobias Harris as your second best player. So I almost forgot, and I know we're going to run out of time, so I got to give you my Ben Simmons analogy that I've been, like, like oh, kind of yeah, trying yeah. to work on. So one, like, one last thing before you get into this. All right. This will be my say, last thing, so okay, I just want to get this out. Fair enough. I just want to say that one of the reasons why I wanted to try the Bennett Five lineups earlier is because what we're seeing now, like basically, like when we're able to get some run with this, I think that it's going to be able to click a little bit more on offense, and it might be able to get us by Doc. His hesitance to do it. I think might have been maybe because he wants to throw this curveball in the playoffs. And then in addition to that, he's such a defensive-minded coach. And da- you have Dan Burke. Like, like they're so deep. This team is so defense first that, like, the idea of just giving up points in the, in the way that you would with a guy like Tobias or Ben at the five, they just couldn't, like, be like, oh, we'll just let that up. Like, we'll just score more points. Like, that wasn't how this team's identity was. So now that we're here and they're able to do it, they might be able to, like, if Embiid can get healthy and there's some way that he is healthy and they win this series, they get to the Eastern Conference Finals, having that Ben in the five lineup for the back pocket, if Dwight gets hurt or if Mm -hmm. he's not working or whatever it is, it's a good thing to have. I'll just say that much. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I was I was thrilled when we saw that at the beginning. I, I sent Doc a t- like a tweet and I was like I felt like I like he like listened to it. Like he like <laughs> I was like, don't I was like, Doc, just run the Greyhounds. We don't need to mess around with this like Mike Scott and Dwight Howard stuff. Like maybe he listened, man. I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's hear your, your so, Ben Simmons. So analogy. I've been workshopping this and maybe that like okay. I, I don't know if I have it hundred percent, but it's basically like this. Like so it's a pizza shop, right? And you hire this this um, cook, this chef, this this pizza maker, and he comes in, and he, you know he applies for the job, and he makes a great pizza, and you're like, this is awesome. And then he makes all this other stuff, and you're like, man, the strombolis are good, the calzones are good, whatever. Then the orders start coming in, and you're like, I don't, what's what's up with these pizzas? Like the pizza's like not that great, and it's a pizza shop. Like don't get me wrong, it's a pizza shop. Pizzas are just okay. They're like, yeah, not great. And you're like, what the hell? But everything else is awesome. Like the strombolis <laughs> are awesome. Like the calzones, like everything. Like this guy's got magic in his hands if it's not the pizza. And so it's like, just go get somebody. Like everyone raves about everything else. But then there's these people that just like always want the pizza. And it's like, well, he doesn't make that good a pizza. So like if, if you want pizza, like that's not the guy to go to. But if you want anything else, his sandwiches are the best, like everything. Go get a guy who can make the pizza. Just get a guy that can make the pizza. <laughs> right? So like, is, it, is, is Embiid the pizza maker in, in this scenario? No, it's Simmons. Like it's Simmons. Like it's like, like everyone's so mad that it's like he can't shoot the basketball. Like that's right. like if you own a pizza shop, right? Like your yeah. business is like making pizzas. Right. But he does everything else oh, okay. so yeah. good. Right. Like everything else is like the passing, the defense, like – 
there's like what he creates offensively. And it's like, everyone just focuses on the pizza, but I get it because it's a pizza shop. Right. Exactly. It's, the, so, it's arguably the most important thing. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, so like you go into like their like Google ratings or like their Zagat guide and it's like, don't come here for the pizza, but, but, but. <laughs> all this other stuff's great, but it's like literally called like Joe's pizza house. And so it's like, so it's like, listen, you got to either like change the name and like get away from like the pizza and like make yeah. it more about this or, um, or just hire someone that just does pizza that like, <laughs> like the Malcolm Brogdon move, like whatever, like, right. Yeah. I was actually saying like, if they were to make some sort of move wherever they get rid of Ben or Tobias or whoever, they bring in a score like Dame or Beal or whatever, you'd have to figure out the playmaking aspect of it if you lose Ben, because then like as good as of a scorer as Dame is, as good as a scorer as Beal is, like having a playmaker in the half court is ultimately what makes an elite offense. I don't think that it could be stressed enough. And like Ben has shown, uh, you know, in transition, he's a little bit better at it. A lot of assists do come out of transition, but just the driving kicks, the working out of the post, the finding open shooters, like he really is so good at that. And it seems that it genuinely, even me at my, myself at times, I don't think I appreciate how crucial that is to an offense functioning and you can see it when Embiid is just playing by himself, and you can see it when Ben's just playing by himself, that they need each other in, yeah. in a way. And that that ultimately, I, I, I'm i bummed that if Embiid can't make it back and become healthy, that we finally got the Embiid-Simmons thing to like work and click on all cylinders, and then this happens. And it's like, part of me feels like it can't end this way. Part of me is like, there's got to be more to it. And another part of me is just like, this is just their luck. So, and, and the way I've, I've said this and I've kind of resigned myself to this. And I think this is like, this isn't glass half full or glass half empty. In my opinion, I, I get the impression that Embiid is maybe going to have like a Bill Walton type of career where he'll have that one season. And I thought it was like, maybe going to be this year. And yeah. then he, he'd have injury. He's going to get the one, maybe two years where he remains healthy and his team wins a title. And if that's, and if they're patient enough, it'll happen here. And then it'll, you know, the, the injuries are going to become more common. And then he'll probably win like one more in like the twilight of his career on like right. the Lakers or the, someone like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. where he's like Sam yeah, Perkins so. 2.0 and he's yeah. just out there like stroking threes and like, you know, just doing the defense thing. I would um, love that. I, I, that. That's my impression is that like, they're just going to have to ride it out with him you know the 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 other thing that gets tricky with him is like this this second max that's coming up. Like I know we talked know, about it last is, time. What does it look like? Like can he give a little bit on that? So like you know it's like listen like we're gonna pay you like you know forty million a year, but like we can't do the fifty million dollar thing. Like we just can't. Right. Like I think ultimately, if there are, are clauses for games played and and all that stuff, how far the team goes in the playoffs and all that stuff, I would imagine that would, similarly to the last Embiid extension, it will be similar in that it will have all these clauses and it will be 20 pages long of like, if this happens, if that happens. And uh, I hope, I hope what you just said is correct. And I think that all I'll say is I was very negative once the injury happened and we learned it was a little bit more serious. Now that I've had some days to sit with it, I think about how the team is. I think about like 
if they can just get him enough time to get some rest, I feel pretty good. So expect the Hawks to destroy us in five or six games because <laughs> I, and whatever I say, the opposite happens. So <laughs> I do. I will say, man, like not to go off Philly fan. Like I do feel like having full capacity. I, I like I know like how I feel like right now, and I know like everyone's mad about like people throwing water bottles and popcorn, and that stuff's like messed up for sure. Of course, but yeah. but but you to me, it's like everyone has been penned up and is just looking for this release. And if this right. team does shows any sign of like like we're like that 2017 eagles team like if if we start getting like you know nobody believes in us and like you know and matisse is out making fast breaks and maxi's haven't has like a 30 point like people are gonna start like just pouring it on the fire and and it's gonna get really fun for this team and for this city and i think they could ride that wave higher than like maybe what their ceiling actually could be with like an injured Embiid, if that makes sense. So no, you know, I agree. They, they could definitely hit the wall, but, but I think we didn't talk too much about Nets in Brooklyn and I, I, I got to run. So we might yeah, have to, yeah. we have to do like a mid mid series talk, but you, you, you <laughs> think that series goes seven? I think that series yeah, goes seven. percent. Yeah. Right. I still so, have the Nets, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. So, if so, so it's possible that, you know, Embiid's better. Okay. Ish going into that Eastern conference finals. And either one of those teams is like, not banged up, but at least like physically, like oh, like yep. drained. And so again, I, I, you know, I'm not writing them off yet. But the I'm last thing to... I will say about Atlanta is that Atlanta, as awesome as they looked in the first round, they should have swept. I said the thing that scares me about the Knicks is their lack of perimeter creators and shot creation, and I feel as though the Sixers have always had the same issue. But I trust Maxi. I trust. Seth, I trust Tobias. I even trust Ben, even though he's not technically like a perimeter guy. Yeah. To to at least generate enough good open looks that it's not gonna our offense won't look as stagnant as the Knicks did because the Knicks that was a disaster. And I I, I just hope that for Tobias and Ben's sake that they don't look like Julius Randle did in that last series. Um, but the one game that Alec Burks went off was the game <laughs> that the Knicks. The first two games, like they had a shot because their perimeter guys played well. And if our perimeter guys plays well, that's really the key to winning any series without Embiid. So I agree. All right. Always Thank a pleasure, Trill. Again, Thank you, Marty. man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, of course. We'll talk again either, if not by the end of the playoffs, then absolutely. Yeah, hopefully we're not doing the offseason pod too soon, but I'm sure that'll be a highlight here to, in the weeks to come. As much as we love to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right, buddy. Thanks, bud. Peace. See you, man.